Hello again and welcome to another episode of the Ominous Origins Podcast with me, Casey. Of course, this episode is still brought to you by the wonderful people over at MorbidlyBeautiful.com. Morbidly Beautiful is your one-stop shop for all things horror content related from interviews, reviews, top 10 lists, and of course, everything in between. Now, I've been going through some shit this last uh, week or so, so I wasn't even sure I was going to do an episode this week, but I can't miss Halloween. Yes, this week is Halloween weekend, and I thought I'd do something a little Halloween-y. And that something is, well, witches, because witches and Halloween go together like peanut butter and jelly. They're just matches made in heaven. So today we're going to talk about one Dame Alice Kettler. Yes, she was a witch, the first witch, recorded witch anyway, condemned in Ireland for, well, witchcraft. She's an interesting person with a very storied past when it comes to husbands, love, and, of course, spells and witchery. So we're going to go over everything you need to know about Alice Kettler. Ominous. Ominous. It is an adjective. Sounds like someone breathing. Ominous. Born in 1263 and died in 1325, as I mentioned, Alice Kettler was the first recorded person condemned for witchcraft in Ireland. She eventually fled the country to either England or Flanders. It's 100% not sure where she went, but she did go there. There is no record of her escape after her persecution. Her servant, Petronilla de Meath, was flogged and burned at the stake on November 3rd, 1324, after being tortured and confessing to heretical crimes. She, Kettler, and Kettler's followers were alleged to have committed terrible, heinous acts. Especially terrible heinous acts were back in the day. So let's go over her life real quick, okay? So she was born in the Kettler house in County Kilkenny in Ireland. And she was the only child of a Flemish family of merchants settled in Ireland since the mid to late 13th century. She was married four times to William Outlaw, Adam de Blund, Richard de Vale, and Sir John Le Poer. Now, her first husband from 1280 to 1285 was William Outlaw, which is kind of a badass name because he probably went by Bill Outlaw, and that just sounds so much cooler. I don't know. He was a wealthy merchant and a money lender from Kilkenny, and his son, William Outlaw, was mayor of Kilkenny in 1305. It's possible that he had a daughter called Rose. Her second husband, which barely lasted a year, was in 1302, and that was Adam Blund of Callan. He was also a moneylender and had children from a previous marriage. Her third husband, which again only lasted about a year, was Richard de Vale, a wealthy landowner in the county of Tipperary. After de Vale's death in 1316, Keitler took proceedings against one of her stepsons, Richard, for the recovery of her widow's dower. This act incited the suspicion and anger of her other stepchildren, as they would have all received the money had she not intervened. And her last husband, which lasted a few years, in 1316 to 1324, John Lepoyer. He also had previous kids from another marriage. In 1302, Kettler and her second husband were briefly accused of killing her first husband. She incurred local resentment because of her vast wealth and involvement in money lending. Her fourth husband, John Lepoyer, briefly defended her by imprisoning Richard de Ledred, the Bishop of Ossory who was attempting to arrest Keitler. However, when Lepoer fell ill in 1324, he expressed the suspicion that he was being poisoned. 
After his death, the children of Lepore and her previous three husbands, her stepchildren, accuse her of using poison and sorcery against their fathers and of favoring her firstborn son, William Outlaw. Seven formal charges were brought against Kettler, and she was accused of denying the power of Christ and of the church. During this period, renunciation of faith was interpreted as a shift in the worship to the devil. She was also accused of sacrificing animals to the demons, Artis Phileas and uh, Robin Artisan. Asking demons for advice on witchcraft was another one of her crimes. Her fourth charge was uh, having a sexual relationship with an incubus, Robin Artisan. And it was alleged that Robin Artisan often took the form of animals or an Ethiopian when engaged with Kettler. That's very weird. That one's a uh, specific one, we'll say. She was also accused of holding coven meetings and burning candles in the church at night without permission. This group included Robert of Bristol, Petronilla de Meath, Meath's daughter Sarah, John slash Ellen Sissick Gallerson, Anata Lang, Eva de Brownstone, William Payne de Boley, and Alice Favor. Her sixth conviction, or charge rather, was making dark magic-based powders and ointments or potions from multiple alarming ingredients, including but not limited to body parts of unbaptized children, worms, a skull, and a chicken's innards. It was alleged that said potions were used to corrupt her husbands, bewitching and killing her husbands to take their money for herself, and her biological son, William Outlaw, was the seventh and final charge. Before sentencing, Kyler, along with Petronilla Demise's daughter, Basila, escaped. Although at least ten people faced convictions in connection to Kettler, they did not attempt to escape with their leader. There are no records of her life after her escape, and her date of actual death is unknown along with the burial site. So let's go over some of her accusers and maybe some of their motives as well. Firstly, we have the husbands. Kettler's first three husbands did not raise accusations against her regarding witchcraft or her responsibility for the death of her other husbands. Her last husband, however, John Le Poer, only raised suspicions towards the end once he developed a sickness that eventually led to his death. He did not mention witchcraft as a potential cause of his death and his predecessor's deaths, but rather implied that poisoning was the most plausible cause of his affliction. Lepoyer did not accuse her based on any perceived behavior change from her, but rather the physical change in his own health coupled with her previous husband's unusual deaths. As aforementioned, Lepoyer's children had a big role to play in a lot of her accusations, I guess? The charges and all the shit that got thrown upon her near the end. Now, it was shortly before John Lepore's death, he edited his will to financially favor Kettler and her son. Children from his other marriage approached the Bishop Richard de Ledred and claimed she had bewitched their father and he was poisoned. The phrase poisoner was tied to being a witch because of the connection of herbalism and witchcraft and that's what she was accused of. However, what came from that was those charges and not a whole lot of fallout really from there, but it did lead to some other stuff, including the Christian medieval church and Richard de Ledred. I know I keep saying his name differently because it's spelled L-E-D-R-E-D-E. And my dyslexia is going, hey, there's too many E's. So bear with me. As the primary actors during the investigation of Alice Kettler, the church had the most influence on the outcome of her and her alleged followers at trial. At this time of the trial, the church in Ireland had a secure relationship with the judicial system. 
The sentence of repentance and self-betterment for Kettler's son, William Outlaw, depicts this relationship as religious acts were available means of reform for convictions. So think kind of like a conversion camp for people who have sinned by being gay, and then they get sent to these camps where they get tortured and raped into being straight. Which doesn't make a whole lot of sense, because religion? Anywho. Across Europe during the Middle Ages, it was common to sentence heretics to acts of religious reformation before a death sentence was brought into discussion. The belief was that the hearsay was comparable to an illness which could be transferred to others as well as be cured. However, the option for reform was not offered to Kettler or her maid after the maid confessed, which was highly unusual for the time. It is possible that the preemptive attacks against Richard de Ledred by Kettler and her son led to a sentence driven by resentment. The lack of confession from Kettler herself may have implied a lack of remorse for the crimes she was accused of. However, Meese's confession did not garner her a lenient sentence either. Additionally, William Outlaw failed to produce a confession for the heretical crimes, but did not apologize for his tax against Ledred before the trial. Outlaw received leniency in his sentence due to his apology to Ledred, which suggests a degree of personal pride of the bishop likely was present during the sentencing of other heretics in this case, as they did not make specific apologies to him. Additionally, it was likely that Kettler was responsible for at least a few of her husband's deaths. It would be difficult to persecute her to the highest extent for murder given the precedent of cross-nobility murders in the British Isle. Although murder was very uncommon amongst the nobles in England, the rest of the British Isles in the 13th century had a long-lasting tradition of violent noble feuds. What made conviction even more difficult was that English jurors were unlikely to convict an accused murderer in the 13th century, as 63.5 of defendants were acquitted. It is possible that the Bishop de la Dred and John Lepore's children accused Kettler of witchcraft in order to secure punishment for her crimes that she would likely have been acquitted for, as witchcraft was a much more taboo topic. Ain't that the Middle Ages for you? Oh, you killed somebody, or you maybe killed somebody. Shame on you. <gasps> you practiced a religion other than Christianity? Well then, you shall burn forever in the pits of hell, you heretical whore! That's kind of what I picture them kind of talking about. And on top of that, well, heresy was considered to be the worst crime that could be committed. As I said, anything outside of, I'm a good little Christian boy, he gets you killed. So, shitty time, shitty time. All these would also explain why the death penalty was applied in this case compared to previous cases against heretics in Europe. What would have made this even more appealing options for the persecution was that there was no statute for witchcraft in Ireland at this time, being that Kettler was the first to be charged with witchcraft in Ireland at this time, which meant that the treatment of the case was tried with ecclesiastical law, which means a set of ordinances and regulations made by whatever authority, usually church leadership, for the government of Christian organization or church and its members, also known as canon law. Interesting, you learn something new every day. So because of all this, Kettler would be tried as a heretic instead of a felon in England common law, and that is basically a death sentence, as we just went over. So what were Kettler's potential motives? Well, obviously money is the first thing that jumps to mind. Most of Kettler's husbands were notable wealthy men, and when each of them died, she received a large sum of money. 
She may have married her husbands for love, but Kettler's speed in remarrying and the speed of her husband's death after marriage suggests she was not really interested in their company, personalities, looks, whatever. There was a little thing called a bank account that sprung to mind when she was marrying these men. Their common trait amongst all the husbands was that they were wealthy, and this appears to be the most likely motive. This was also the perspective of many of the people in Kilkenny. They thought she was a greedy whore, basically. Now, there is another potential motive, and that was Kettler's personal needs were restrained due to the patriarchal values in Ireland during this time. There were two approaches to martial law in Ireland due to discrepancies between the Anglo-Normans and the Gaelic-Irish. For both groups, they were limited reasons for divorce or annulment, and very few of them would ever be approved which included prolonged absence for one partner, breakage of a pre-marriage agreement or contract, and impotence, among a few others. It is possible that Kettler wanted to leave her husbands but did not meet any of the annulment-worthy complaints, and so resorted to murder instead. Talk about going to the extreme. Oh well. I mean, either way, she would have been dead, because she would have left her husband, she probably would have been charged with something, and she would have been killed for that. So she kills her husbands and whatever. It's also worthy to know here that open displays of sexuality were highly scorned in medieval Ireland. It was considered sinful to take part in or even think of committing such acts, including masturbation. During the investigation of Kettler's room, a pipe with ointment was found in her nightstand. It has been argued that this was a dildo, and it probably was. Or maybe she used it on her husband, maybe they were into some sodomy shit, which would have been death sentence for him. So, a lot of people are going to die because of life choices in this story. This item being in Kettler's nightstand suggests that she was comfortable going against the sexual standards of her time. It is possible that her husbands did not satisfy her in a way or approve of her sexuality, which may have led to her trying to find a husband who would. And I can make sense. If you're not being satisfied and you need to look elsewhere and your husband's like, nah, fuck you, my little pencil dick is good enough for you. Well, I mean, it's 2022 now, which I guess is kind of okay. There's a lot of open relationships and shit, but I mean, back in the 13th century, I mean, that was just, good Lord, no. So what happened in the trial? Well, of course, Richard de la Dread, Bishop of Ossory, sought to uphold the laws of the church and morality. And when the case was presented before him in 1324, he began his larger project of addressing witchcraft. Le Dread made initial attempts to have Kettler arrested and Kettler called on the assistance of powerful friends. The bishop wrote to the Chancellor of Ireland, Roger Outlaw, demanding that she be arrested. Using the Decretal Ut Inquisitoris in 1298, designed to protect the faith, the dread remained that secular powers concede to the church wishes, and this point of the law became a thorny issue throughout the trial. Kettler was related to the Chancellor, he was probably her first husband's brother, and he asked the Bishop to drop the case. The Chancellor demanded that Kettler be excommunicated for at least 40 days before the trial, I don't know why I'm going that voice, which caused a delay in the proceedings. This allowed Kettler to flee to Roger Outlaw. The Dread accused Outlaw of harboring heretics, but a commission cleared him of any wrongdoing. The Bishop then charged Kettler and her son William Outlaw with the crime of heresy. William was a powerful man and was related to many in the ruling classes. He called upon his friends, Sir Arnold de la Pua, a senior official in Dublin, who had de Ledred thrown in prison in Kilkenny Castle. 
The Dread, despite his limited political connections compared to his captors, was released from prison after he ordered the dioceses, dioceses, that's a hard word to say, dioceses, be placed on an interdict. He would not allow any religious ceremonies to occur until he was released. On the Dread's release, he renewed his efforts to have Kettler imprisoned. Kettler and her accomplices were accused of and investigated on the seven accounts listed previously in the episode. After some months of stalemate, one of Kettler's servants, Petronella Demeath, was tortured and confessed to participating in witchcraft. Her confession detailed her involvement along with Kettler's and six out of seven of the above listed crimes. One example she gave was rubbing ointment on a stick to fly. It would seem, although her testimony was likely forced and unreliable, that the accusers gained most of their information from this confession. It's called torture. You never get information when you torture somebody. You just get the information you want to hear. Although the testimony did implicate Kettler in performing heresy, questions concerning Petronella's credibility came to light, especially when examining the contents of her confession. Now, despite the clear usage of torture, Ledred referred to the acts committed against Petronella as flogging. His assertion that flogging occurred suggests that she went through was an act of punishment rather than an attempt to gain a confession was potentially an attempt to give credibility to her statements, which is bullshit. Additionally, the credibility of the physical evidence used against Kettler was dubious. Investigators cited a pipe of ointment found in Kettler's room as evidence for the sixth charge. However, it is likely that they found was actually a dildo. Now, it is said that Kettler fled to England. She appeared no further in contemporary records. The bishop continued to pursue her working class associates, bringing charges of witchcraft against them. Petronilla de Meath was flogged and burned at the stake on November 3rd, 1324. Petronilla's daughter, Basila, fled with Kettler. Kettler's son, William, was also accused of inter alia, or heresy, perjury, adultery, among other things. Multiple courts refused to try the case, but he was eventually convicted, excommunicated, and briefly imprisoned. Outlaw was released after he begged for forgiveness from Le Dread. Additionally, he was able to reverse his excommunication by visiting the Holy Land while following specific rules. So what are the significant actions of this case? Well, besides being the first witchcraft trial in Ireland, it did showcase that in the late 13th to 14th century, heresy was considered as evidence of the struggle with the devil, with the dangers of witchcraft voiced by the papacy. Pope John 22nd? XXI? 22nd? I think that's what that means. Well, let's just figure that out real quick. It's pre-recorded, but we're doing it live. That does mean the 22nd. And he listed witchcraft as heresy in his bull, Super Ilius Specula. Kettler's was one of the first European witchcraft trials and followed closely on the election of the Pope in 1316 to 1334. Kettler's case appears to involve the first recorded claim of witch lying with her incubus. This case was also the first to treat the accused parties as an organized group or a coven as opposed to individuals. Additionally, it was the first case of convicted heresy resulting in the death sentence in Ireland. Considering how Kettler and her followers were the first people to be condemned for witchcraft in Ireland, this case set the precedent for how all following witchcraft and heresy cases would be executed. Keyword on executed. The act of burning witches in Ireland lasted until 1895. So there's that. So I hope you liked this episode on witches today. Well, one witch in particular. Lady Dame Alice Kettler. That's her name. Remember it. For she will haunt your dream. No, I don't know. 
I don't want to say that just in case there is some sort of spooky witchcraft shit that I don't want to get involved in. As I said, I like doing research. I don't necessarily like practicing this stuff because it is spooky. And I don't necessarily want to incite the uh, wrath of a witch. A dead one, especially. It's just a shitty thing that happened to her back in the day because she was probably just a black widow who wanted some money. But remember, murder isn't as bad as having incited wrath against God or whatever that shit was back in the day. But that is going to do it for me this week. My name is Casey. If you do enjoy what you heard, please feel free to leave a five-star rating on Spotify. If you do, please let me know and I will give you a shout-out on the show. You can do so on the mobile app by leaving that five-star rating. It's right under the title. You can just hit the little thingy and little five-star thing will pop up and you can just hit five-star. Excellent. You just have to listen to 30 seconds of an episode on Spotify. That is all. Other than that, you can still leave a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. And any five-star ratings on there will be read out on the show as well. So another great way to get a shout out. If you do want to follow me along on social media, you can do so. I'm not super active, but hey, do it anyway because it's cool and you can talk to me and send me messages and stuff. And you can do that on Instagram at Ominous Origins Pod, on Twitter at Horror Shots Prod is in production, or on Facebook at Horror Shots where it has been popping again. So thank you so much for liking and following along on Facebook if you have done that. But that's all I got for you today. Until next time.